there are so many titles. So let me let me attempt to cover some of them. Multiple award-winning author, distinguished professor, educator, editor, executive producer, Trini. Great. All right. Caribbean American, Shakespeare lover, sister to ten. Was it? Was that eleven? Five sisters, five brothers. Mother, grandmother, New Yorker. Welcome. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know much about Dr. Nunes, I want to just give you some highlights of her her life um, here. So you came to the U.S. at nineteen. Um, in 1963 to go to university in Wisconsin. Correct. Behind Goldback. Definitely. Yeah, behind Goldback. And at um, Marin College, you earned a B in English. Yeah. And then you came to New York, um, earned an M.E. and Ph.D. in English Lit from NYU. And then right here in Brooklyn, you became a professor and eventual provost at Nagavas mm -hmm. College. And now you are a distinguished professor, as you just informed me, the only distinguished professor um, at Hunter College, CUNY. The undergraduate. The undergraduate. Mm -hmm. um, Portia, where you teach uh, Caribbean literature, okay. creative writing. Correct. Yes. Wonderful. Um, I can go on and on. I mean, I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many, many hats. I think that's enough. You've won. You've won many awards that I've not even mentioned, many honors, and have earned many titles in your life, some of which I've described. Um, do you Google yourself? Hmm. Never. Never? <laughs> I do not Google myself. I do not read any reviews. Huh. I do not. I, I may come across something I don't like, and that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just think... Um, I, my first, I published my first novel, I was 42. So I, I was behind. And so for me, what I wanted to do was write. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate your community person too. Um, I love the City University of New York. They have been, in, in each role I've had, I've had a lot of support and um, I was able to do my work. And the current position I have is huge support from community. And um, so I'm just a, I just don't don't have the time to do that. Okay. Um, I don't have the time to get affected emotionally one way or the other. Uh, um, I read books. I write about books. I I do workshops both in Brooklyn in Bed Stuy and in Long Island, and I teach at Hunter. Two of my students. Wonderful from Bed Stuy. Well, you you don't Google yourself, but I Googled you. <laughs> don't tell me what they said. <laughs> no, really. Because... Well, you no, know, I'm not going to, but I want to share and just basically, you know, just give a rundown of your, your body of work. So you published your first book, When Rocks Downs in 86. And now you're up to People nine. People are doing so much math in here. Like. <laughs> and you are up to nine novels and an incredible memoir. Probably. I just finished my den. No, I, a birdie told me so. Yeah, birdie yeah. told me so. Um, many of your books, most of your books, have won some kind of award or distinction or some honor. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever feel pressure to have each subsequent work, you know, be recognized in that way? You four of them have won um, New York Times Editor's Choice Awards. You've won an American Book Award. Oprah has recognized the last two books of her in a magazine and in a book club. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been such 
um, admiration for your work. Do you ever feel the pressure to continue? That's um, why I don't think my review. <laughs> because what I want to do is write. Mm -hmm. And you know, and it's fickle. It really is fickle. Um, I, I, I judge many awards and I realize how fickle it is. Um, a lot of it has to do with politics. It has to do with networking. It has to do with so much. Right. I, I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to write. And um, right. I finish a book and I'm starting another book. Yeah. Um, um, I definitely appreciate this. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. And I appreciate the festival. And I'm actually almost surprised sometimes when someone comes up to me and says, you know, um, I read your book. I like your book. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's going out of my room to wherever and what is amazing to me lately and i don't know why this is happening lately a lot of universities are used has people are doing dissertations and master's thesis and last year the university of siena in italy invited me because of all places there was someone that was doing a dissertation on on um, my novels, all them, no, one, of but the, but the department was translating Prospero's daughter. So mm -hmm. That was part of their project, and so it's it's a surprise It should, I mean, it really shouldn't be. Um, you're, it's it's a well known that to be a great writer, you have to be an avid reader, and you just mentioned yeah. you read a lot. So, what book is on your bedside table right now? You, I, I'd be ashamed to tell you. <laughs> you shouldn't because no, I'm, you're, you're going to think I'm a real freak. <laughs> because some people have problems sleeping. Okay. I don't have problems sleeping because mm -hmm. I read all of Jane Austen from <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's on, the, on my bedside. Uh, I know all the stories. I'm old enough that I remember with my grandmother in Digger Martin when none of this technology existed, right. when you didn't have cake TV or any of that. It's so simple. It just goes down to boy loves girl, boy has a problem with finding girl. You go to sleep. But those are my sleep books. But the books I, I really love, the, the novels I really love, um, that are my books that I go back and look at uh, often. Definitely Tony Morrison's Beloved. Mm -hmm. um, definitely Disgrace by J.M. Kutsia. Mm -hmm. Definitely The Sea by John Bailey. I mm -hmm. read the, I, I, John, not Banfield. I go back yeah. on those books, back and forth, back and forth. Um, God, my sister just came to spend some time with me and she said, you must read Every day, you know, mm -hmm. like just stacks of books. I'm, I'm just constantly reading. Um, I think I mentioned to you that from August to the end of the year, just from mm -hmm. August to the end, I read like about 60 novels. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I'm judging them, but also I'm in and in between them. Mm -hmm. You know, so. So will you permit me just to say something? Because a lot of people don't know about these competitions. Mm -hmm. I judged the Ernest Gaines Literary Award, which is $15,000. Mm -hmm. And so few people apply for it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm doing this year, I'm doing the Fulbright. For, uh, I did it, I have done it before, um, for creative writing. And there are few black people who apply for that. Mm -hmm. 
And it's and it's amazing. Last year we had somebody from Trinidad who applied and I said, oh God, this person's gonna get in. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, that's the thing. Right. You know, speaking about access, right? Just access to information like this, access to our body of work. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, I remember going to SJC and, you know, reading Shakespeare and Do they know what know, SJC is? It's St. James. <laughs> and as you mentioned, Jane Austen and all the classics, right? Yeah. And you're a professional from the classics. And I also remember um, my cousins, right? They were going to other kinds of other schools, you know, mm -hmm. junior secondary schools, whatever. And I would see their books. They were reading, you know, Michael Anthony books. Yeah. And they were reading Paul Keyes Douglas books. And, and that was my them. first introduction yeah. to our, our authors and our writers, right? Mm -hmm. And our storytellers. And I always used to be really confused as why was this not part of the curriculum in convent? And I could bring it full, you know, circle today. So I was in Trinidad last month um, for a while. And in prepping for this, you know, festival, I said, great, I'll just drop in a Sharon's or wherever mm -hmm. and I'll, you know, get books of some of the authors. And I probably went to five bookstores and could not find mm -hmm. any books from any authors in this festival. Paper base. Yes. Did you find it from paper base? No, no one had it. No one had it. No, I don't know if that also coincided with it was like bookless time and they're just focusing on, you yeah. know, just supplying books for school to start. But I was like, I'm home and I can't find the that's, books of authors who that's are That's why this festival is so important. And, and let me let me just say that I critique Jane Austen, okay? Because I know that when Jane Austen was writing and that most people see her as a feminist and supporting of the feminist. Slavery was going on, and when those ships, if you read like persuasion, which occurs right on the ocean with all the ships coming in, guess who was on there? And when you when you read Mansfield Park, and Fanny Bryce says, asked um, Bertram, Don Bertram, what? Where, you just came from Antigua. What were you doing in Antigua? And there was a silence, and that's all Jane Austen says. There was a silence. Well, we know what he was right. doing in Antigua. Yeah. So I, it's not that I don't read it critically. I read it to go to sleep. <laughs> but when I write about it, and right. I do, yeah. and I do write about it, I, I write about it critically and wonder at the celebration of Jane Austen as being a feminist, when if you're really concerned about the human being, about human being and the oppression of the human being, mm -hmm. it was right there in your face. Right. In every, well, every one of her novels. Mm -hmm. The next thing I always say, I have been, as much as I like English literature and all of that, I have been to London for three days in my life. Three days. I went in and out. Couldn't stand going yet. Everything I saw, I saw blood on it. Exactly. Everything I saw, I saw blood on it. Don't show me all your statues. I don't care. Don't show me your buildings. I don't care. I, as soon as I got it, back out. That's right. And um, when they talk about this Pride and Prejudice that we love, which I love, that puts me to sleep. <laughs> With Elizabeth Bennett and Darcy and his wonderful thing. Mm. How the heck did they get all those parks? Right. Hmm. Right. From the Caribbean, huh? Right. From, from sugarcane. Right. All of that is sugarcane. Mm. So, no. Yeah. I don't right. I mean, I think one day I'd like to go to London and see the place, but I, I can't. Yeah, I, can't come I love that just, you know, injection of story and you make it, um, history, I'm sorry, and making that point. You know, mm -hmm. your works are always extremely informative, laced with Caribbean history, not just about Trinidad history. Yeah. 
um, specifically, like, I learned so much about, like, Lebanese history and Mauritian history mm-hmm. and even Jamaican Chinese history, stuff that right. I didn't know about, right. um, and even in paradise. Yeah. You know, um, what kind of research do you do and how long do you spend researching before you begin a book? Well, there's one commitment I made to myself, that you'll never read a novel by me in which you are not, you don't know about the Middle Passage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You cannot read it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not somebody who deliberately says that in a novel that I'm writing a romantic novel that I'm going to suddenly get out of it and write about um, the Middle Passage. But I find it is impossible to write about Caribbean characters that somehow it comes organically in the novel. And it always surprises me because those of you who are writers here know that writing is about discovery, that the writer himself is as much in the, this whole thing about discovery as the reader. When we have discovered, then we give you the, the, the pleasure of discovering what we discovered. So, um, yes, um, I, I, I just, that is just a commitment I have. You know, you're going to find out how we got there right. and what happened, um, one. Mm-hmm. And two, um, there's that other thing. And I think for me, I was very influenced by this African-American writer, John Oliver Killings. Who's your mentor. Who was my mentor. Mm -hmm. Who I fought. We fought. I I mean, after the man was dead and gone, suddenly I realized that what he was saying made sense. Mm -hmm. But um, he would say that there were so few opportunities for writers of color to write that we didn't only have the luxury of telling a story, a plot, Mm -hmm. that we had to fill in the missing pages. We had to, and, and, and I think this sounds very simple, but it is very difficult. We have to change the aesthetics. You know, it sounds so simple to say we want to make beautiful people and beautiful landscape, and, but we have no literary tradition. The, the person who said that was Naipaul, and he had a, a fit when he said that. When Naipaul said, there are not things Naipaul said. But he, had, he had like colonized mind. I mean, no, no, no. That's that may be true, but but Naipaul was always saying things to provoke you. Mm. So if you got behind the provocation, Mm. you would find out he was saying something that you needed to Mm. hear. Mm. Because he would say that he had a collection of essays called Overcrowded Barracoon. And in it, he said that he didn't have permission to describe a flower, a Caribbean flower because there was no literary tradition. There was, there's a literary tradition of daffodils and there's a literary tradition of roses. Yes. But writers write out of a tradition. Artists write, artists work out of a tradition. And suddenly as a writer, you find yourself describing a hibiscus and you have no tropes to work with. You have no similes, no metaphors, no historical allusions, no biblical allusions. Do you understand? That you can just slip in if you were writing about daffodils. Tell me a word. If I say daffodils, tell me a word from a literary tradition. You guys are going to say it. You guys are going to say it. From a literary tradition, if I say daffodils, what are you going to think? Who's the right? Yes, what's one? You have a literary tradition. So if you're writing a story and you have daffodils, you have something to back it. You have allusions to back it. 
the same thing. So I think the challenge we have, and I'm going to get back to um, to to John and Achilles. I think the challenge we have is this aesthetics. How do you describe a beautiful man or beautiful woman, black man or beautiful black woman? You think it's easy? It's not easy. You think it's easy to describe features that have been in a tradition negative? How do you turn that around? How do you describe landscape? So um, John used to say that that was that the, that the writer of color does not just have the opportunity just to write a plot, but must um, fill in those pages. And so to answer your question, yes, I spend a lot of time doing research, mm. but I'm a fiction writer. Mm. I'm not a non-fiction writer. So that, can, that has to be worked into the plot. Mm. You cannot stop the action of the story to say, John, I want to tell you this. No, you do it so seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And you you would have read a few pages and you didn't realize, like, I just felt like I read a history book, but I didn't. Yeah. Because you're still within the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so, so well done. Um, you know, with that, it just, um, it makes me think that, you know, your work really reveals your conviction for truth-telling, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, very much so. Um and there's a lot of conflicts that emerge from your work. So um, to to share some of them. So even though you say your work is fiction, you know, you, you, there's a little reality dabbling here and yeah. there mm -hmm. with the history and with contemporary mm -hmm. um, things as well. But, you know, you present conflict between like parents and their children, mm -hmm. um, race and class conflicts, conflict with, you know, women's rights and the Catholic Church. Um, yes, so, very much so. And your own personal conflict between gratitude and resentment towards, you know, a colonial past in right. a way. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, do you think um, Caribbean literature has the responsibility to be truth-telling regarding our post-colonial history and even our contemporary struggles with race and class and colorism, mm -hmm. um, uh, both inside and outside the Caribbean? You think we are required to do this? This is well, so, so I'm getting back to the John Advocate. Mm -hmm. I, I resented his saying that because I don't think any pressure should be put on a writer to rectify anything. Uh, I think the fiction writer is a storyteller. So I, I resented his saying that I had an obligation or responsibility to do it. But after many years, I realized that it's, it's almost impossible to, dis to, to have Caribbean characters and in a Caribbean setting without this, this happening, the history and, um, and what. So I, 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 work, I give you an example, and I'm almost forgetting your question, but I, I, I give you an example in, um, in Evening Paradise. You know, the world is round, right? And when those slave ships came, to the Caribbean, what do they see first? The, the, no, the mountains, because the world is round. They don't see the flat. So what, what islands are they going to miss? What islands are they going to see? And what island is they going to miss? What are they going to see first? The tallest mountain in the Caribbean is where? Jamaica. Jamaica. So you cannot talk about the people unless you put in that history as to why most of the African enslaved people were in Jamaica. It's about, oh shoot, it's about the, it's about geography, right? Now what island are they not going to see? Barbados. 
And when they see it, what are they going to do? Fall on their knees and thank God. Because that is sugar cane. And what island are they going to run away from? It's between Guadalupe and Martinique. Between Guadalupe and Martinique is what island? You Caribbean. <laughs> Dominica! <laughs> and what's going to happen to them when they get to Dominica? You see, all of that gets into the people, the aesthetics. The, you cannot create characters unless all of this is intertwined. And so when you land in Dominica, which you should, you're going to be pressed. The first time I went to Dominica, I almost fell out because I thought I was shot back in Columbus's time. Wow. You see, people, mm -hmm. the real carrot people, mm -hmm. not from the magazine, the real people digging the ground and whatever, mm -hmm. they, they have what's called carrot territory, although it's now called the Kalinga, mm -hmm. it's a new name, when I first went it was carrot territory. Mm -hmm. So there are as many rivers there are there days in the year, not a good place to plant cocoa or sugar cane, can't bring the Africans there. Mm -hmm. Can't touch the Caribbean. So when you ask the question about how history, it's not an effort. It's inevitable. Yes. If you are truly writing about the Caribbean, you will know that the geography, the history, the shape of the, the ignorance of the people who came. Because right. um, they should have known the world was round mm -hmm. and not flat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And <laughs> <laughs> when they saw a mountain, there might be another island over there. <laughs> What's a boiliot is spoiliot? Hmm? What a boiliot is spoiliot? What boiling spoiling? Any regrets, Dr. Nunez? Any professional pursuits you wish you had followed or stories you wish you had told or told differently? I wish when I would. Growing up, there were more uh, women mm. writers mm. because one needs some sense of possibility in front of you. And I saw no possibility in front of me except English women, which I obviously am not. Um, and, and so it took me a long time to have the confidence mm. to, to think that I could write something and put it in a book and people buy it. Um, it, it took me so long to do that. So I'm very dedicated to having people have their, their voice heard. So, um, but that's, you know, I, I pursued it vicariously by going to school, reading about literature, and then I never stopped. I kept on going. Um, and then the other thing too is what happens to us, which is why I love this festival, is that Caribbean writers who live here, and I have lived most of my life at this point, very much most of my life here, is we go to the Caribbean and we accuse them of not being authentic. Hmm. Didn't happen tonight, Paul. Nobody, they, 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 they just said he hated the Caribbean, but not that he, he was, but not that he wasn't authentic. Um, so you go to the Caribbean and you kind of have to take a, you know, be very humble and whatever, because you don't know what you're talking about, so shut up. Of course, the Jesuit says, give me a child at age seven and he's mine for life. Right. right? So what happened to you in those early stages is who you are. Right. Everything is a little icing on the cake. And then when you come to America, you are a black writer. And that 
means an African-American writer, which is a whole different history. Amen. Yes. Amen. A whole different Amen. history and a whole different culture. Right. Although I have to say that my biggest readers are African-Americans. Mm. My biggest supporters are african So what I wish this festival is going to do is to give a place to people like me who are Caribbean-American mm. and whose children are very much Caribbean. My, my son is more Caribbean than I am. I mean, he could understand every accent in the Caribbean and I'm going, I can't hear you. I understand. I understand. And I've been sanctioned on a Jamaican talking. He has all the Calypso records. He has, you know, he, said, he gets mad with me with the music I have, you know. And so there has to be a place for us. Dr. anyone even semi-familiar with your work, you know, knows that a novel of yours really stays embedded in the reader's soul. You know, um, you. you absolutely write with your heart and you ensure that Caribbean folks never forget who we are, where mm -hmm. we come from. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. You know, the, the great Chilean writer Isabel Allende says, write what should not be forgotten. Mm. And you make us absolutely never forget. So we are deeply appreciative of the impact that you continue to make. Thank you. Um, for in, in terms of uh, sharing Caribbean stories and creating the Caribbean narrative. Um, I'm excited to see what happens for you next. Because there's much more career left. Well, I don't know. It's, it's up to you. And if you don't mind me just adding a little bit about regrets. Um, my novel, Prospero's, Do my novel, Prospero's Daughter, got a very big review in the New York Times. And the first paragraph the writer, who was a professor at Barnard, said is that it's amazing that this novel is coming out because Cornell and Yale actually had courses on it. Cornell has never contacted me. Yale has never contacted me, ever. My latest novel, mm. Even in Paradise, came out, to, came out in 2016 to, to correlate with the 40th anniversary, 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, a lot of writers were writing contemporary versions. Now this, I said I never read my reviews, but my publisher gave me this review from Kirkus, which I almost memorized. They, he, they said something like it was a great triumph, a, chi a gem of a novel. I mean, they went on and on. Publishers weekly gave me starred reviews, right? What happened to the novel? Hmm. Because I am writing a contemporary version of King Lear. Hmm. In that year of 2016, they talked about everybody doing it getting all those reviews, bam. So what I would say is that, um, although I'm, you know, I want to write, I hope you read, I'm not looking to make money from my writing or anything like that. I mean, who turns down, turns off money, but um, turns down money, but still it would be great to have this support and, and to hear something that you say about my novel. Seriously, um, everyone, this was probably the best book I wrote all year. Mm. It's incredible. It really, really is. Definitely, um, I got my Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Zinger. Yeah.